Okay, 2 Kings 13, we're going through the book of Kings, 1 and 2 Kings, as 1 and 2 Chronicles, it switches back between the south and the north. By this time, there had been a civil war in Israel, uh, which happened right after Solomon reigned. So there was three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. After Solomon, uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam uh, was uh, a very double-minded man, and he had the opportunity to keep the nation united, but um, he uh, did not, and there was a civil war. Ten tribes went to, formed a northern kingdom, which is referred to as Israel, oddly enough, even though all 18 or 19 of their kings were evil in the sight of the Lord. And then in the south, it's referred to as Judah. That was Judah and Benjamin. And so the kings goes, the book of First and Second Kings goes back and forth. Sometimes it's very difficult. I mean, you have to read through First and Kings <laughs> maybe 10 times before you can really figure out what's going on. I'll do my best. Um, Today, it's as confusing as it gets because the king in the south and the king of the north had the same name, Joash. So uh, uh, anyway, uh, let's uh, begin. We are going to start here with a king in the north as we're making our way through. And by the way... Jesus, in the last chapter of the book of Luke, approached the two disciples after his resurrection. They were on their way to um, Emmaus, and uh, he gave them a Bible studies and says he began uh, just going through the whole Bible, talking about himself. And so that's uh, supremely what we're always looking for. We're looking for Jesus Christ. Um, the Old Testament is the... Uh, New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so it says in the 23rd year, verse 1 of chapter 13, in the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 17 years and he did evil in the sight of the Lord this you know which you're going to read the, basically read that for all 18 kings in the north he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat who had made Israel sin he did not depart from them so if you remember Jeroboam was the first king of the kingdom in the north he went up there he didn't want people going down to Jerusalem once a year for the purpose of well, the law, of obeying the law of Moses. Said, the law of Moses said every year, three, um, three times a year, every male 18 years and older had to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at the temple. And he's like, I'm not going to let people do that. If I let them do that, they're gonna, their hearts are going to be won over by uh, the king in the south. So he made a cat, two cat, golden calves. Uh, obviously, he was not very well uh, read in the Old Testament. 
the golden calf that uh, was made after the Israelites uh, got out of Egypt and they sinned greatly. Uh, you know, if you're not schooled in the Bible, you're just going to repeat the sins of the Bible uh, that are recorded in the Bible. So he made a, um, one golden calf in the south in Bethel and another in the north uh, in Dan. And he said, this is, this is Jehovah. This is God. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Worship him here. You don't have to go down to Jerusalem. That was a serious, serious, serious sin in the eyes of the Lord. And it was just um, repeated over and over by each um, king. Each king that came into power had the ability. They could have said, now wait a second, we're not going to continue to do this. Um, sometimes there's even Christian families that... Um, that do really goofy things uh, or, or, or may not be a Christian family where you, you, you find yourself, you, you inherit from your family a practice that's wicked, that's not right. You know, the birthday boy gets drunk on his birthday. We just do that in our family. The rest of the year, we don't really do that and, 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 and we're sober, but you don't just say, well, you know, we've always done it. There's so much pressure or whatever. I, I'm just going to continue. You know, you, you break the cycle of sin. Um, everyone, every Christian who's following the Lord, you, you, you will have things in your family where you just have to say, I know we've always done it like this, but I can't because I follow Jesus now. And, you know, Jesus said, Remember what Jesus said? He said, I didn't come. I don't think I came to give peace. I came to bring a sword to divide father and mother and brother and sister and, and, and brother-in-law against sister-in-law. Um, a man's enemies will be the enemies of his own household. I mean, this happens. Now, over time, oftentimes what you see, what, when you take a stand for righteousness, your family follows, fo follows into line so often because of your example but every one of these kings we're going to see the next one he's going to continue in the same sin but this guy Jehoahaz uh, just continued um, in this sin verse 3 then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and he delivered them into the hand of Hazel king of Syria and into the hand of Ben-Hadad the son of Hazel and all their days now verse 4 is interesting this is a king that is described as doing evil, but look at what happens. It says, so Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. What? I, I thought this was like an evil guy. The thing about the Lord, though, is he never goes against his character. And when Moses asked him his name, he asked him his name a couple times, once when he was in the desert between the ages of 40 and 80. Then after he delivered the Israelites from Egypt, he asked him his name again, and the Lord um, expanded on what he had said earlier. Remember the first time he said, <laughs> the Lord said, I am who I am. Go tell him that's who uh, sent you. The second time he, in Exodus 34, 7, it says, that in verse 5, he proclaimed, the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. And, and this is a long name. This is like Nigerian names. Nigerians have like 27 names sometimes. It's absolutely crazy, at least from my perspective. And this one's like, this is a Nigerian name. 
The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, uh, visiting the iniquity of the father upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Can you imagine saying that every time someone asks you your name? That's a long name. But this is who the Lord is. Supremely merciful and gracious long-suffering, and abounding in goodness. So when someone comes to the Lord, even this guy Jehoahaz, who it says he did evil in sight, and it says he pleaded, he pleaded with the Lord. Um, God can't help be who he is. He's a merciful God. And so it says, God, Lord, listen to him, verse 4 of 2 Kings chapter 13. For he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. He just couldn't bear any longer seeing Israel be oppressed. Verse 5, then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer so that they escaped from the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin, but walked in them. And the wooden image also remained in Samaria. Meaning they, they, they sinned against love, you know? They sinned against mercy. It's one thing to, as I said in my opening prayer, it's one thing to sin against the law. It's another thing to sin against love, to sin against mercy. God had mercy on them. He gave them a deliverer. But it says they just remained in their sins. This is the story of the northern kingdom. Verse 7 says, For he left of the army of Jehoaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. They were just like dust. They didn't respond well to the fact that God gave them a deliverer. And they were basically got to the place where they were just impoverished. They only had 50 horsemen. And the dust at threshing, I think that's referring to the chafe, right? You throw up the wheat, the wheat and the chafe, the chafe blows away, the wheat comes down and the chafe is just, uh, just the... It's just the dust. It's, it's not worth anything. And the Lord is trying to get their attention. Kenny called me late last night and he asked me, what does it mean? To, what does it mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I actually like this in verse 7. It's when you get to the point where you realize you're just like the dust at threshing. You're like nothing. You can't offer God anything. All you have is like the dust at chafe. Chafe isn't worth anything. When you get to the place when you approach God like a beggar, I'm just a beggar. Lord, I don't have anything to offer you. We can't offer God our good works. We can't offer God even the things that he does great through us because he gave us the grace to do it anyway. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven when you realize you're, you're like the dust at threshing. 
Verse 8, now the rest of the act of Jehoahaz, all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Verse 9, so Jehoahaz rested with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash, his son, reigned in his place. So here's where you have a Joash in the north and a Joash in the south. Oh my. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, but Jehoash is either Jehoash or Joash. It can, it's both, basically. The son of Jehoash became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 17 years. So this Joash in the north, uh, he reigns 16 years. So this is the second king from the north that we're going to read about in this chapter. And it says he, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He, he did depart he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but walked in them. You can't say just because, you know, our family has always done this, it must be okay. To God, this is like a big, big deal. To build a golden calf and stick it up and say, okay, everyone, instead of going to Jerusalem to temple, just worship that, that calf. That's a big, big deal. And the problem is, is once things are carried on from generation to generation, it's just accepted. Like this is, there couldn't be. How bad can this be? Everyone's, you know, you know my, my mother did it, my grandmother, my great-grandmother. It, it doesn't matter. You go to the Word of God. Our standard is the Word of God. It's not family tradition. Some family traditions are wicked. And they need to be um, done away with. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, speaking of the guy in the north, and what he did in his might with which he fought against Amaziah, king of, of Judah, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Ju Ju Israel? So we're going to get there. But you know, it's interesting, again, back in verse 11, I, just don't, I don't want to belabor this, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. It's interesting to me that practically every single eulogy or, or obituary, um, practically every single eulogy and obituary you hear something like, oh, he was a nice guy. Matt, can you? You hear something like, um, he was a nice guy. I mean, no matter who it is and whatever they did, it was, um, he was a nice guy. Uh, it, 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 but God is, is, is very different. Or, or you go to a eulogy at a funeral. I, I was, the last one I was at, it was tragic a couple months ago. It, this, this, this guy was one of the most wicked guys I have ever met in my life. And at the eulogy, all they said was good things. I knew him. I, I lived three houses away. I saw him with my eyes. I saw what he did. I saw how much he uh, uh, hated God. But man, I went into a church and all they said was good things about this guy. It's not going to be like that with the Lord. It's not going to be like that at all because God tells it like it is. In Hebrews chapter 4. I was just in it this morning. It says, Everything we do is naked and open to the one who created us. And God just says, tells it like it is. His neighbors might have thought he was a nice guy. You know, but God tells it like it is. It's the wonderful, wonderful thing about the Bible. It never lies to us. 
So then we um, read in uh, verse 13, so Joash rested with his fathers, then Jeroboam sat on, on his throne, and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. So um, this is the second Jeroboam. There was Jeroboam the first, and there was Jeroboam the second. Now in verse 14, we see a very interesting story. You, you remember Elisha, Elisha the prophet, the guy who made Naaman the leper skin, who was ravaged by leprosy. Elisha made Naaman's skin just like the skin of a little baby. Remember that? Second Kings chapter 5. It's one of my favorite messages to give. Naaman, the leper, healed by Elisha. And it says this in verse 14, Elisha became sick with the illness of which he would die. You should underline that if you're taking notes. Elisha became sick with the illness of which he would die. Now that's significant there because Elisha had more miracles in the Bible than anyone but Jesus. I think it was... Um, 26. Now Jesus, it appears that Jesus had thousands of miracles. But um, if you just go through the Gospels and, and, and the accounts, it's hundreds if not thousands. But and here's, this is a very righteous man, Elisha. We never read of anything bad about Elisha. You know, even Elijah you know, he got into a place where he had a lot of self-pity. He, 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 he got like we got a lot, lots of times. He had pity party for himself, and I just wish I was dead. That was Elijah. But Elisha, who took over from Elijah, we never hear a single bad thing about him. He was in ministry for like 40 years. At, at least 26 miracles. And it says he became sick with the illness of which he would die. Now, sooner or later, if you haven't already many times, you will run into someone who says that the Bible teaches that anytime that you have illness, it's because of a lack of your faith. That if you have faith, enough faith, you will be healed of your illness, and the, it's, it's the prosperity and health doctrine, which has just done an enormous amount of damage. It was in this country, and, and, and we do what we do best. We export um, whatever is uh, good and whatever's bad. We've exported hundreds and hundreds and thousands of missionaries. We've also exported terrible doctrine. So now country, uh, churches all over the world preach this. They preach that faith in Jesus will lead to wealth and to immediate health. I've, you know, and, and some of the people are very well-intentioned. I have a very, very, very dear friend who um, at one time was my best friend early on. And, and man, this guy was like big time. Uh, big, big, big time into the um, health doctrine. He would quote, Isaiah 53 and First Peter where it says by his stripes you are healed and, and he says look it says what it says and um, you know over time the Lord really 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 
really dealt with him in a, in a gracious um, but, but difficult way, and I, I believe he's come around on that. But um, this is one of the worst possible doctrines that you can give because what happens is that people, righteous people, even Elisha, they die of illnesses. Illness is a result of the sin and fall of Adam and Eve, and we all inherit it. And um, here we have Elisha, more miracles than anyone but Jesus. It says right there, it says, he became sick with the illness of which he would die. Um, and it's true that, that even the most um, righteous people, I remember Billy Graham was, was interviewed and he had severe advanced Parkinson's and, and um, the, there was an interviewer, I don't believe they were, they were a Christian and they just asked him about his illness and is that fair? I mean, you traveled all around the world, millions of people are saved. He goes, of course it's fair. I'm, very, I, I am one of the most grateful people in the entire world, and this is just a part of being human. Uh, and, and and but and, and and but the problem is, is when when preachers get up there it, and they teach this doctrine, what they do at the t at a time when the people need need the Lord the most. They'll feel alienated from God because they're not healthy. They're not whole. They're not healing. They must not have faith enough. There must be something wrong. And, um, and so don't be deceived by, by the Bible. Oftentimes in those churches, people don't know the word of God. They don't know about Elisha. By the way, it also says Paul was sick. I, I, I remember hearing, I think it was on the Bible Answer Man or something, someone someone. Um, asked a, a prosperity preacher, they said, but look right here, it says that Paul was sick. It says right here. Um, actually, there's more than once that it says that. But in the book of Philippians, it's, it's really clear um, that, that, that he, was, he was sick. On his, on his travel, by the way, to Rome, where he was going to be imprisoned in Rome, during that travel, they had to stop because of an illness uh, of Paul. And they, anyway, they said, hey, look, Paul is ill here. And, and, and the preacher responded, that's because he didn't have enough faith. He was talking about the Apostle Paul. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's how much pride and arrogance there are um, in, you know, in some of these doctrines. But, but here, Elisha becomes sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. So while Joash was a king who, um, it, it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, um, you know, oftentimes even the mafia, right? They know a holy person when they see him. And he goes up to him and he knew, he, he, he knew who Elisha was. He honored him. Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen of uh, and their horsemen, which appear to be a reference uh, that, look, all the chariots, you have 50,000 chariots, it's not, it's not even equal to a man of God. This guy, this guy understood that principle there. And then what happens next is, is really, really interesting. Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So Elisha's on his deathbed, but he's still... 
He's still ministering here. So the king took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. Elisha put his hand on the king's hands. And he says, open, he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord deliverance, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. So he's, he's about to die but he's saying look at you need to go out to Syria as weak as you may be you need to attack them and um, you, you need to attack them. But then here this gets this is unusual verse 18 then he said take the arrows so he took them and he said to the king of Israel strike the ground. So the king struck three times and stopped. Verse 19 says, And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elisha died and they buried him. So what is up with that story? What are we to take from that story? Well, I, 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 think, um, I think it's good to just allow it to do a work uh, deep in your heart. You know, in this, this morning, I was in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. Um, I'm rather, chapter 5, it says this of Jesus. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayer and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. That's speaking of Jesus, vehement cries, like intense cries, yearnings, just crying out to the Father. And it says that he was heard because of his godly fear. We actually get to see a picture of what Jesus' prayer life was like. I, I don't believe that's just talking about the Garden of Gethsemane there. I, this is Jesus praying. And you know, you, you are told, Calvary Chapel, you're told in First Peter and Leviticus and other places, be holy even as your Father in heaven is holy. It says be holy. What does holy mean? I've given a definition. <laughs> that's, that's not an easy answer. But I've given a definition of Holy. That is so simple. I really, really like it. Do you guys remember what it is? What is holy? Be like Jesus. Dennis, fantastic. Give that guy a hand. Right, yeah. The, easy, the, the easiest way to think of holy, because you hear holy and, and, and you, know, you think of whatever. You think of a monk or something. I, I don't know. It's just read about Jesus. That's holy. So if you're a person who doesn't have joy ever, you're not holy. Because Jesus said in John 15, I've said all this stuff to you so that your joy would be complete. I'm not holy when I don't have joy. If you don't have love, you're not holy. I don't care if you don't do weed, you don't do drink, you don't do drugs, you're sexually moral, you're not holy. If you are not like Jesus in that way, the other thing that Jesus did is he prayed. 
So no matter what you do that's good, if you don't pray, you're not holy. I'm not, I'm speaking this to my own heart. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm not trying to make all you feel condemned. But Jesus prayed. And not only did he pray, it says that he prayed. Remember, we're talking about the man of God being mad because the king struck only three times. And he said, you just should have kept on going. And, and remember, this king, was a divide, he had a divided heart. He was not a good king. And, 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 and here we see in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, um, in the days of his flesh, he offered a prayer and supplication with vehement cries and tears. That's holiness. You want to be holy? You need to nurture your praying life, your life of prayer. You got to do it. And uh, man, that's not like us in the natural, right? You just recite a prayer book. That's what I did growing up. You get up in church and the pastor would, or the priest would say something and we'd recite the rest of the prayer and, and we'd sit down. And by the way, last summer, I, I was convicted on my prayer walk yesterday. Last summer, I I said we'd have a prayer workshop, so by the end of January, Mary, we're going to have a prayer workshop. See, sometimes Mary preaches to me in her prayers. It's right in front of me. She's going, well, Pastor Steve said he was going to do a prayer workshop, and Lord, make him, make him do it. So <laughs> it's okay. You can do that. But we're going to have that on a Friday by the end of, of January, but it's going to start there. I got to tell you, opening up your heart and crying out to God but with fervency. Now that's not like ever, I'm not saying every time you pray, but, but particularly when, when, you, when you get on your own, li listen, there are things in your life, you're like, Lord, please, please, Lord. What is going on with this pandemic? This is perfect madness. Lord, would you answer, speak to us, give me wisdom. What am I supposed to do? How do I love in a time like this? I don't feel love. Doing it with zeal. This guy, when he's hitting this, these arrows, he could have, what, the, what Elisha said is, he could have completely wiped out Syria. These people who had, um, who had been tormenting Israel for so long. He, it, he could have done it. Um, but, you know, he gives, he gives these free strikes. And, and, and Elisha said he was angry. You should have struck five or six times. You would have struck Syria until you had destroyed it. I don't know about you. I, I want to destroy the devil and his work in my life. I do. I want to destroy the devil and his work in my life. I love the book of Deuteronomy. It's my favorite book in the Old Testament. Hero Israel, uh, chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, I, granted, there are times where I don't feel like it. 
That's when you just open up your heart even more. God, I don't feel like it. I have no feeling. That's a wonderful prayer. Deuteronomy 29, verse, uh, uh, chapter 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying any of this to put anyone into condemnation. I, I'm, I don't love the Lord with all my heart every hour of every day of every... No, no, but, 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 but if that never characterizes your heart... You, I mean, your life, something's wrong. <laughs> Something is wrong. Because we're constantly exhorted. And what, do, what does it say in, in, in the book of Revelation to the angel of the, Jesus speaking to the angel of the church of Laodicea, I know your works, that they are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And we don't like fake it to him. I'm not talking about faking it till you make it, this kind of thing. Just, but but, but the, it, it, it is important, really. Just zeal for the Lord is um, something that we should always be striving for. And, and listen, not a week goes by where, where there's something in me where I feel a cooling. And I'm like, okay. But by now, I've been working, walking with the Lord uh, a long time, I, I know what's going on. I'm like, okay, this is bad. Uh, I got to get out of this. And I just, I, I, just, I just move forward. It always involves, though, just opening up my heart. God, I don't like this. Please do something. Scripture is a big part. Just trying to cry out Scripture to the Lord is, is, is a big part of maintaining your zeal. I say all this to build you up and, and, and not for one second to discourage you. The Lord um, definitely has a life of zeal for you if you're willing. And then these things happen. <laughs> yeah, these are some unusual chapter, uh, verses in, in, in the Bible here. Verse 20, then Elisha died and they buried him. And the raiding band from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now, there's a certain kind of person. Um, uh, I had... More than one professor like this in college and after, you know, who, uh, just looking at the time here, um, who will read this and say, yeah, you see, this is all this silly little fairy tale. And they throw the baby out with the bathwater, never mind the fact that the resurrection is one of the most documented, the most documented incident from antiquity. No, I, d I wouldn't do that when you read this stuff. Because God, the Lord, does this stuff. He continues to do things like this. And, uh, and uh, um, what, this is, what, the, what is going on here is the Lord is, uh, again, this is happening because word gets out. I mean, when you're burying a guy and you throw him in Elisha's tomb so you can run off and get away from the raider and the guy pops up and lives again, word gets out. 
And, and, and what is the word that gets out? There is a God in Israel. Would you please repent? That's what this is about. Would you please repent? And be like that guy who just, uh, who, just uh, uh, who died and people, people's body are thrown on me, pops back up to life. This is a wonderful illustration of what you and I can be like. And some of you are, I already know. That a dead body is thrown on you. And all of a sudden it pops up. The body pops up. I'm not talking literally dead. But they pop up and you give them life. You give the people life. It's, it, it, that's, what the, that's what the Christian life is all about. It doesn't stop there. Haziel, uh, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. That's verse 22 of chapter 13. But the Lord was gracious to them, had compassion on them, and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them or cast them from his presence. Isn't that amazing? Just the mercy of God. Generation after generation after generation. Rebellion against the Lord. This is the northern kingdom. And he still continues to be gracious. It never ceases to amaze me that the two superstars in the Old Testament in the prophetic realm, Elijah and Elisha, were prophets to the north. And there was never a revival. There was revival in the south. We'll read about that. Tremendous revivals. But it's got to tell you something about the heart of the Lord. That these two heavyweights, Elijah and Elisha, were sent to the northern kingdom. It said, why? Why? It's because the Lord, verse 23, was gracious to them and, comp and had compassion on them. And he regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Japheth. A one-sided, unilateral covenant. In Genesis chapter 12, when God came to Abraham, he said, get up, get out of this land, and I am going to bless you. It didn't say, if you do this and that. None of that. It was a, a one-sided uh, covenant of love. And, 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 and because of that, he's still honoring it. What is this? Uh, 400, like 800 years later, 1,000 years later? He's still honoring this covenant. Verse 24, now Hazel, king of Syria, died. Then Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place. And Jehoahash, the son of Jehoaz, recaptured from the uh, hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazel, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoaz, his father, by war. Three times Jehoash defeated him. Joash defeated him and recaptured the city of Israel. So just like Elisha said, he would get three um, victories. This is even at a time where, again, this is not a good king. This is an evil king, but God has, is still gracious for them. I, I hope you're not that kind of person. I'm speaking to everyone in this room, on live stream, and then in the future, if you're listening to this um, online. I hope you're not one of those put per people who... Because this is what, what the people in the north were. They, they, they just always assumed God was just going to come along and rescue them. I'm just going to stay in my rebellion because I just know, you know God's going to come along and he's going to rescue me. 
you know, because um, that is, that's what the, 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 northern, the, the history of, of, of northern Israel looked like. And, and you know what happens if, if, if you do, um, if, if you have a life like that, um, God's, in, in, you know, they may say, oh, you know, at your funeral or whatever, he was a nice guy. But the Lord has a different opinion. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. She did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now you don't want that. You don't want that. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, In the second year of Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Jehoash, king of Judah, became king. So, we go from the northern kingdom and we go down to the south in Judah. Now remember, it's Judah is the line of David through which Jesus would come. And there was about seven or eight good kings um, down there. Uh, and this is one of them. It was described as good. He was far from perfect. We'll see that. But this, this man by the name of Amaziah, it says, verse uh, in verse 2, it says, he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehodan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet not like his father David, he did everything as his father Joash had done. Now his father Joash messed up pretty bad. And we, we discussed that a few weeks ago. Actually, in the Second Chronicles, it says this, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a, a loyal heart, not, not with a complete heart, is what it says. And so we're going to see him mess up pretty bad, but, um, um, but it does say he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, meaning he honored um, as a ruler of the country, he honored and respected the word of God. Verse 4, however, the high places were not taken away. And the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. In the Mosaic Law, I think also in Deuteronomy, it says that, look, you're, you're going to do sacrifices in one place. It's the place that I choose for you. It would be Jerusalem, right? The place, that he, the, the place where God was going to choose to put his temple. And no other place are you to be offering sacrifices. Prior to Jerusalem, there were some other places where the tabernacle was. But when the temple was established in Jerusalem, that was that it. You, you weren't allowed to go to other places where the tabernacle was or the temple was not. And, 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 um, and yet it says, but people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. You know, again, it's the same thing. It, when people left to their own device, said, you know, how can this hurt? I'm trying to worship God. This seems spiritual. I'm, 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 I, I, I'm worshiping God here. And they worshiped in the high places. And so they were really outside of authority. And it was kind of what you see so often, just people just doing their own thing. Not really under authority. I hear so many teachings all, all the time. Someone comes to me, I heard this guy on the internet, and this is what. It's like, what in the world? The, the weirdness out there. The, and a lot of times it's because they're not under authority. They're not under authority. They're not under authority by, by um, under, under men who believe 
the word of God and, and, and draw a circle around what is right teaching and, and in the circle is the word of God and outside is anything that's not in the word of God. And, and you, you, you come up with just the weirdest things that, that, that people um, teach nowadays and um, that's what's happening in these high places. People are just going for it. They're doing, it sounds right. It sounds exciting. You know, I can go up to this uh, place high on a mountaintop or whatever. Um, but it's not what God ordained. It, it's, it was too much of a free-for-all. Verse 5, now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. So we went over this a, a few uh, weeks ago that his father had been murdered by his servants. Verse 6 says, but the children of the murderers he did not execute according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses in which the Lord commanded saying, fathers shall not be put to death for their children nor shall children be put to death for their fathers but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. So typically what happened there um, if some person did a real wicked thing like kill the king <laughs> uh, the people would come in and not only kill them but also kill their children as well. They would just they didn't want to take the risk that a child would grow up and do the same thing as his father did. But the book of Moses said no. In Deuteronomy 24, 16, if you're looking for a reference, um, some of you may also have the footnote in Ezekiel 18, but um, that, that no, that, that is prohibited, that, that fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. So... Um, Verse 7 says, he, it's, again, it's talking about this king who's described as a good king. He killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Selah by war and called its name Jokthiel to this day. So he goes down to Edom and the, uh, the, Edom, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Remember Esau and Jacob and just the conflict they had? The Israelites are the descendants of Jacob. The Edomites are the descendants of Esau, and they were always warring against each other. The, 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 the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, hated the Israelites. And there was some kind of rebellion that went on, and so the king of Judah, this guy Amaziah, goes down, he kills 10,000, there's a victory there. So he, he returns to Jerusalem, and here's where he really goes south. And this is a, it's a really good message and warning to our, our heart. It says, Then Amaziah sent messengers to Joash, or Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. So, in other words, this is a civil war again. Now, again, if this guy read his Bible, if he knew um, the, the words of the prophets that came before him, he would know that this, they were instructed never to have civil war against each other because they were related. They were all Jews. He would have known that. But what happens, he goes down south, he gets this big victory, and 
pride comes into his heart. And it's just, it's such a dangerous thing that, that when you have a victory in your life of some sort, there's just that thing in you which thinks there's something special about you. And pride starts to get in. So he gets back and um, he goes and he, he, he never consults God. Um, it says in verse 8, he says to the king in the north, hey, let's, let's face one another in battle. Let's, let's do war with one another. Then Jehoash, or Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, the thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar, said to, sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, give your daughter to my son as a wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the, the thistle. Verse 10, you have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Glory in that and stay at home. For why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall? You and Judah with you. So what this king in the, the north, now remember this is the guy who had three victories against, remember this is the guy who uh, Elisha said, you're going to have three victories against the Syrians. And he did. So he had seasoned troops who had much more ex experience than the troops in the south. And he said, hey, look, don't let your pride get to you. Just, just stay where you are. Uh, let's have peace here. Verse 11, but Amaziah would not heed. Therefore, Jehoash, king of Israel, went out. So he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Bethshemeth, which belongs to Judah, and Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. Then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemeth, and he went to Jerusalem, broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits, which I think is about 200 yards or something like that. So it's a big old gap that let, let the city of Jerusalem vulnerable. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and hostages and returned to Samaria. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, what he did, his might, and how he fought with Amaziah, are they not written in the books of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoash rested with his father, and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Jerusalem. Then Jeroboam, his son, took his place. And Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, the son of Jehoash, king of Israel. So he was really, really, really humbled. And God will do this with his, his children. Again, it does say at the beginning of the chapter, this guy did what was right. But, um, you know, about 10 years into his reign, or about 15 years into his reign, he just got filled with pride. Pride, 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 pride. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. My favorite 
devotional writer, a guy by the name of Bogatsky. I mean, I've shared this with you probably in the last three months, but um, he has this wonderful devotional. He just says, look, um, if you do something good in the pulpit or some good ministry or whatever, leave the pulpit just praying, crying out to God, Lord, please, let me not enter into your judgment. I mean, please, God, I just have such a propensity for pride. I have such a propensity to pride. Please, no, Lord. I don't want to become like this guy, Amaziah, who's taken prisoner and, and actually apparently brought back to Samaria for a while and only goes back to being king after the king in the north dies. But I think there's reason to believe the last 15 years of the life, he was poor in spirit. He was humble. He realized that um, he, he had been humbled and, and realized he needed to uh, remember how dishonoring it was to be filled with pride in the way that he was and how damaging. And the people, the men that had been killed and the widows that had been created because of his pride. Pride's a very dangerous, dangerous thing. And so it says in verse 18, now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, are they not written in the books of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? That's where we're going next. After 2 Kings, we're going into Chronicles. And then they formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. So uh, just really a lot of, um, uh, a lot of the just, there, there was instability um, in, in, in in the south at this time in the southern kingdom then they brought him on horses and he was buried at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David and uh, you know it could very well be that this conspiracy was against the people who you know he, he had he, he had led the southern kingdom of Judah into a very very foolish war against the kingdom in the north and many many people died and uh, and the bitterness and hatred of his own subjects just uh, stuck around and grew and uh, eventually uh, cost him his life, apparently. Verse 21, And all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. So this guy Azariah um, is, is uh, Uzziah. He's Uzziah in the book of Chronicles. You guys remember the, Isaiah chapter 6? In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Uh, that, that, that wonderful chapter at the beginning. And, and so in Uzziah's reign, you have Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah, the prophets. They begin to prophesy. They begin to prophesy. Amos is just such an interesting guy. You talk about a guy who had some guts because um, at, at, the at, at, at the time of his reign in the north, Amos was primarily in the north, uh, they began to prosper greatly. And um, in Amos chapter 4, uh, he actually speaks to the women in the north. And he speaks to the women, and this is what he said, you cows of Bashan. Can you imagine if I said that in a sermon to the women? Hey, women, you're a bunch of cows. 
And, and then this is what he said. You who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. He, that, that guy Amos, uh, that guy had some guts. Um, he went up there during, during the reign of Jeroboam II. So, so the prophets, God's um, sending prophets, when Uzziah comes in, um, at that time some famous prophets um, were, were given as gifts to Israel. Uh, it says in verse 23, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Jehoash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And it was during Jeroboam's reign, Jeroboam II, uh, again, that Amos uh, came up there during that time of prosperity and really rebuked them. But we're going to have to close now because I would like to, um, I'd like to spend the last 10 minutes in prayer. And uh, let's, let's pray, let's pray about the whole hitting the arrow thing on the ground and our zeal for the Lord, especially in prayer. Or, but, but generally, uh, I think it's pretty serious, don't you, where Jesus um, says to the church in Laodicea, um, because you're... You're lukewarm and neither hard or cold. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. That's pretty serious stuff. 